Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. Lord, thank you for your mercies new every morning. Father, we thank you for the cleansing blood of your Son. We thank you that you have given us uh, knowledge of you by your Holy Spirit. And Father, we pray that as we look into your word this morning that you would, you would give us wisdom, that the scriptures would be active, and Lord, that, that you would help us to love you by obeying your commands. And so, Lord, give me words to speak, and may, may this time lead to your glory and to the building up of your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so back to another class in our Christian Rigor series. We have covered, we had an in, a couple introduction classes, and then we have covered five specific topics. The first was hate, uh, but hate your sin. Uh, the second was tithe. The third was forgive. The fourth was pray. The fifth, last week, was rejoice. And this week is commit. Commit. So again, the the standard reminder I give you at the beginning of each one of these classes. This is not about our justification, which is by faith alone. None of your works can commend you to God. Not a single one of them. As much as you would try to make your works commend you to God, they will not commend you to God. You are saved by faith. And it's strange how we fight against that, isn't it? You are saved by your faith. And so we are talking about rigor in regard to our pursuit of sanctification, obedience to the Lord arising from a heart in which the love of God has been poured out. So, first question here before we get to our main verse this morning, the verse that we uh, ask ourselves, if, if this is absolutely true, am I willing to obey it? If this command is from God, and I heard it directly from his mouth, which in the reading of Scripture, you are hearing it directly from the mouth of God. Am I willing to obey it? But here's the opening question. Is your life a string of broken commitments? Is your life, has your life up to this point been just a string of broken commitments? Some, that's not to be answered. <laughs> it's a, I mean, we could all go through our laundry list here. <laughs> Let's, I'll, we'll, get, we'll get to uh, some interaction later. Is your life a string of broken commitments? Just think, think back. And, and small and large commitments. I'm not just talking about the main commitments of your life. I'm talking about you told somebody you'd meet them at 3 o'clock and you showed up at 3.20. Those sorts of commitments. Is your life a string of broken commitments? 
Now, it seems that there's a commitment problem with uh, young people today. <laughs> if you Google it, you know, commitment or something like that, you'll get words that pop up like commitment avoidance and commitment phobia and commitment issues. And uh, the, the, um, the goal of, of most people's lives today, it seems, to keep their options open all the time. Don't make commitments so that you have your options open. And uh, it seems... It seems like um, the younger generations are getting bashed for their commitment phobia today, but it's probably something that older people have always complained about when it comes to younger people. You know, I think every generation, once you've carried responsibility, looks at those who aren't carrying responsibility and aren't fulfilling their commitments and sort of looks down their nose at them. So I don't think there's anything new under the sun. And so, uh, probably something that, that old people have, have always complained about young people. Um, perhaps we could talk about Gen Z and, and, and their problems, but um, I don't want to do that. Um, I think we've all, we all have work to do when it comes to commitment and committing. Immediate gratification militates against the slow burn of faithfulness and commitment. We want immediate gratification, and so we keep our options open. And then when our options are open, we just go with what we immediately want satisfied. And um, <clears throat> we fear that if we commit that the ideal option might pass us by, right? In committing, we're like, oh, man, there are going to be six other options, and one of those is going to be the best option. And when we commit, we're like, we're like giving up what might be the ideal. So commitment takes faith. You have to trust that God is leading and God would have you be faithful in these things. Now, there are big commitments and little commitments. The big commitments are what? What are the big commitments in your life? Marriage, marriage vows, right? Anything by which you enter in through vows before Almighty God, I would call a big commitment. But the fact of the matter is, is any commitment we make is a vow before God, big or little. It's one of the points I want to emphasize. Children. What's your commitment to your children? Okay. All right. Yeah. Right. Committed to our children. What else? Sure. Yes. That's it. Marriage and kids. Church membership and baptism. Think of those 
both, both are uh, vows. You, you take vows before God in church membership and baptism. Vows similar to marriage in church membership and, and in baptism, which is church membership. Yeah, I'd put that in the little category, not the big, but. (laughs) Sorry. Destroyed her dreams. Yes, yeah, a shift in commitments. Things come along and our commitments do shift. Um, Work. Somebody said work. Work contracts. You sign a contract. You uh, vow to do certain things, and they vow to supply you with certain things and expect certain things from you. Citizenship is a big commitment. If you come in as... uh, you know, if you get your green card and you become a citizen of the United States, you take vows, right? And um, how about enlisting in the armed forces? You can't back out. You got to fulfill your commitment. If you back out, there's trouble. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wills, powers of attorney, anything legal, legal contracts, things like that. Big commitments, um, many of those very painful if you fail to keep those commitments. There are little commitments as well. Volunteer work is a commitment. Volunteer work. You agreed to work in the nursery, and um, that's a commitment. Um, You agreed to show up for a church work day. You agreed to help a neighbor with his yard work, right? And so little commitments. You've committed... And uh, uh, another uh, little commitment, maybe showing my anal retentiveness, is arriving on time. That's my second mention of it. (laughs) Don't make me wait at the coffee shop for you. You have 10 minutes, and I'm gone. (laughs) Uh, Keeping promises you made to your wife, your husband, your children, your friends, fellow church members, coworkers, neighbors, just promises you made. We're going to go get ice cream Friday night. Commitment you made to your children. Uh, Generally being true to your word. What you say you're going to do is what you do. What you say you're not going to do is what you're not going to do. That that commitment to um, speak, speak truthfully, right, and stick to your words. Or repent and correct yourself you know, and, and, uh, and adjust your commitments um, rather than just letting it fall to the ground. So our main, so those are some examples of big commitments and little commitments, just, to, just so you know what I'm talking about when I say commitment. So what verses do we go to? Let's go to Psalm 15 first. Sort of two main verses this, this week. 
So Psalm 15, 1 through 5 says this, O Lord, who may abide in your tent, who may dwell on your holy hill, he who walks with integrity, aren't we singing this today? And works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. That's the verse. He does not put out his money at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. So right there, the second part of verse 4, he swears to his own hurt and does not change. For me, that's commitment even when it hurts, right? Keeping your commitments even when they hurt and you do not change. And then we could go to uh, Matthew 5. Matthew 5 at verse 33. This is in our Lord's Sermon on the Mount which is, I think, a sermon he preached many, many times throughout Israel. I think Jesus preached sermons over and over again. And um, you see glimmers of this sermon in some of the other areas of the Gospels. And so he said, again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. Now this verse in church history has been used by Anabaptists to say you should never make any oath to anybody. You should never take any vows at any point. And that is not what this verse should be used to prove, and it's not how the Westminster Confession of Faith approaches these verses. What this means is every yes or no you make is a vow before the Lord. That's what it means. It means don't make these silly vows that have higher and lower value based upon what you're swearing on like Jerusalem or the temple or the gold of the temple, right? They would make these gradations, and and it was more costly to break one than another. And Jesus comes in, and remember, in all of these, in all the Sermon on the Mount, he's taking the law, and he's giving the interpretation of the law, and it's like he's ratcheting it up. Here's what it means. You know, love your enemies, and he's, he's now saying, let your yes be yes and no, no, anything beyond these is of evil. So when you say yes to somebody, you vowed before God to do that. God will, will hold you to that commitment because of what you've said. So um, those are the two main verses uh, that I want us to think about. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. And then, but let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. Are we living this way? Do our commitments or our string of broken commitments show that we're living a committed uh, life? 
in the honor of God and in the fear of God. So, I'm trying to base all of these uh, areas of Christian rigor in the character of God. God is committed to you. Think about how committed God is to you. He is faithful. He does not break his promises, right? He is faithful. He is committed. God is committed to you. Genesis 28, 10 through 17 says this, Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a place, certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set, and he took one of the stones of that place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. He had a dream. And behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. Behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. Commitment. Promise. I will give you this land on which you are standing. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth. Another promise. And you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. All those promises, all those commitments, that covenant promise. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. I've made these commitments. I'm not going to leave you. These things will happen. I'm going to be with you the whole time. Committed, faithful. Covenant promises of the Lord. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So right there, that, that is a crucial point in Old Testament history and God's covenanting with man. And it's at that point that, that Jacob... Uh, seems to spring into action and uh, be faithful. 1 Samuel 15.29 says, Also the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. God doesn't change his mind. Those, those scriptures that say he changed his mind is, is God lisping to us so that we could possibly understand what's going on. They're anthropomorphisms. They're attributing to God man-like qualities so we can get some understanding of what's going on. But he is not a man that he should change his mind. If he has covenanted, if he has promised, if he has decreed, it will come to pass. He will be faithful. James 1.17, every good thing and given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. No variation or shifting shadow. And yet we are always varying and always shifting. Protecting our pride, making promises and breaking them, making commitments and thinking, oh, it's a little commitment, it's not a big deal, I don't need to be faithful to what I've told anybody because it's so little. It's not like it's enlisting in the army. I just told them I'd be there at 3 o'clock. 
Psalm 100, verse 5, For the Lord is good, His loving kindness is everlasting, and His faithfulness to all generations. Always. The track record of God is faithfulness, commitment, keeping of promises, and I would even say keeping promises even when it hurts. If we can speak of the crucifixion of Christ in those terms. Right? Jesus saying, your will be done, not my will, your will be done. Right? Keeping those commitments even when it hurts. And it is your salvation. God's faithfulness is your salvation. God's commitment is your salvation. And so we see that God is always faithful. He's always committed. He does not change his mind. When he sets out to do something, that thing is done. It's as good as done. So there's a chapter in the Westminster Confession of Faith on lawful oaths and vows. We went through that several months ago uh, as we were working through the Westminster Confession. You might want to take a look at that um, if you have any conviction after this, this lesson, hopefully. Uh, it says things like this, a lawful oath is part of religious worship. We take oaths and vows in worship. It's part of worship. We make those vows in, in weddings. We make those vows in church membership and baptism. Um, it, it deep dives into to, um, many things. One thing it says, and this is very important, if you make a commitment to sin, you should break that commitment. That's the one commitment where you should, be, you should not be faithful, okay? You should break any time you commit yourself to sin. That's a rash oath. That's a rash vow, and it, it will honor God if you break it. And if you keep it, uh, you will be sinning against him. An oath is to be taken in the plain and common sense of the words without equivocation or mental reservation. It cannot oblige to sin. But in anything not sinful being taken, it binds to performance, although to a man's own hurt. Right? They're just echoing Psalm 15 in that confession. That's Westminster Confession, chapter 22, section 4. It cannot oblige to sin, but in anything not sinful being taken, it binds to performance, although to a man's own hurt. Nor is it to be violated, although made to heretics or infidels. Right? If you make a vow to a heretic and it doesn't oblige you to sin, you should keep it. If you make a vow to a, a government that's a wicked, if it doesn't oblige you to sin, you should keep it. All right, so there are other things in that Westminster Confession, but I just wanted to dip in there, and, and uh, a whole chapter of the Confession just on oaths and vows. It just seems weird to me, right? We just don't even think about commitments anymore. We would not have, if we were writing the Westminster Confession of Faith today, we wouldn't have had a section in there on contracts and vows and oath-keeping. I just don't think we would. We don't think about it much and what vows we do take, we, we just treat very lightly, superficially. And our yes is no, and our no is yes. All right, so um, a little bit more on breaking rash and sinful vows immediately. 
If you have committed yourself to things that will force you to break God's commands, break those vows now. Get out of them. Repent. Break them, okay? Proverbs 20, 25. It is a trap for a man to say rashly, it is holy, and after the vows to make inquiry. In other words, you go in, you say, you, you take this vow and you say, this is a holy thing, I'm committing myself. And then you start thinking about it afterwards. Like, hmm, what did I just commit myself to? I just committed myself to commit sin. Right? And so we so often will approach uh, a contract or, or um, a commitment in that manner. We'll make it rashly, we'll make it quickly, and then we'll contemplate only after we've made the vow whether it's godly or not. Whether I can do this or not. Whether I can be faithful or not. Think of it before you make the vow. Take commitment seriously. Think about, can I do this? Is this going to honor God? Ask yourself those simple questions. Will this honor God? Can I fulfill the vow? Will it be for his glory? And will it be for the good of my neighbor and, and my own growth in the Lord? my own sanctification. It is a trap for a man to say rashly, it is holy, and after the vows to make inquiry. Okay? And then, of course, we have the example of Jephthah. Right? Now, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah so that he passed through Gilead and Manasseh. Then he passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he went on to the sons of Ammon. Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed give the sons of Ammon into my hand, then it shall be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the sons of Ammon, it shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So Jephthah crossed over to the sons of Ammon to fight against them. And the Lord gave them into his hand. He struck them with a very great slaughter from Aror to the entrance of Mineth, 20 cities, and as far as Abel, Karamim, so the sons of Ammon were subdued before the sons of Israel. And when Jephthah came to his house at Mizpah, behold, his daughter was coming out to meet him with tambourines and with dancing. Now she was his one and only child. Besides her, he had no son or daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you are among those who trouble me, for I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot take it back. So she said to him, My father, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me as you have said, since the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the sons of Ammon. She said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Let me alone two months that I may go to the mountains and weep because of my virginity, I and my companions. Then he said, Go. So he sent her away for two months, and she left with her companions and wept on the mountains because of her virginity. At the end of two months, she returned to her her father, who did to her according to the vow which he had made, and she had no relations with the man. Thus it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went yearly to commemorate the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite four days in the year. Now there's a weird interpretation of that that says that Jephthah did not sacrifice his daughter as a burnt offering. I don't know how you get that out of the text. He did to her as he had vowed. It's about as clear as you could possibly make that statement. 
But they say that she just committed herself to virginity. He didn't actually sacrifice her, and she just, she just never married a man. I don't, I don't buy that. Calvin doesn't buy that. Other uh, commentators don't buy that. He committed human sacrifice. That's forbidden by the law of God. That is a sin against God. You cannot sacrifice humans. And he had committed rashly to do that. He had committed not thinking it through that, you know, likely coming out of his door would be his daughter. And he should have broken that commitment. Even though his daughter was like, you made the vow due to me. I mean, that's some serious faith there. Due to me as you have vowed. But, but he should have broken that commitment. That's an example in Scripture of uh, vowing that which would lead to sin. Okay? And those are meant, those should be broken. But that's not our problem. Our problem is breaking vows that should be kept. Isn't it? That's hard. It's hard to be faithful. It's hard to be committed. What should you be committed to? Church. You should be committed to your church. You've taken vows of membership to be a part of this church. You should be committed to that church. And church is a family. It's not always fun. Church is a, it's a wacko family, and everybody's, you know, there's the crazy uncle in every family, and you have to live with the crazy uncle. Uncle Larry. <laughs> you know, and, and, they're the, and they're the sweet servants that are a part of the body, and then they're the heady, crunchy, reformed guys that have their heads in the clouds. Right, and then and then there are servants, and then there are thinkers, and and you know there's, I mean, just the absolute diversity that comes together in the church, is is wonderful, it's incredible, the backgrounds that we have, totally different from one another, and so you would expect that you might hit some bumps in your relationship with the church, right? You're going to get angry at me. I'm going to get angry at you. We're going to say things we shouldn't have said. We're going to have to repent. We're going to have to work through relationship stuff together, right? And it's good for us. All of that is not the sin part, but the repentance part and the having to accept repentance and forgive is good. That's what it means to live as a church together. We're a wacko family. It's not, it's not going to be a perfect, it's not going to be a, a perfect vacation. It's a long-term relationship. Hopefully it's long-term. Some people never get past the first bumps and they'll leave the church and then in six months they'll leave their next church. Right? They're just not committed. They just, they, they don't see it as a family. They want church to not be family, maybe because they've had an awful family, and so they want the church to be perfect. And trust me, we're, we're a society of sinners. That's what we are, forgiven in Christ. Society of justified sinners who still have indwelling sin. We're going to sin against one another, but be committed. You made vows to love your brethren. 
That's intense. Be faithful to it. And work through those things. It'll be good for you. It'll be good for uh, everybody involved. Your job. You should be committed to your work. Right? You've made... That is your livelihood. It is something... You should be committed to the workplace. You should be committed... Um, and faithful to what they ask you to do insofar as it isn't sin. Your spouse, be committed to your spouse. Be committed to your own family. Be committed to your friends, right? Real commitments to friends. Friendships are important to us, and they should, like I've said many times, friendships are cemented by piety, by the pursuit of godliness. That's the best of friendships. And so there's a, there should be a commitment to one another's holiness, even in our friendships. You know, if your friends are just dragging you into sin, they're no friends, right? But if there's a cement of godliness, then they're truly your friends. What should I be committed to? Church, job, spouse, family, friends, and everything you've promised to be committed to that is not sin. Every single little yes or no, every single promise you've made. You should be faithful to. That's hard, isn't it? Because our moods sort of conflict. We, we, I know I promised to get ice cream, but I'm tired. I'm tired tonight. Maybe next week. And then Ruth starts crying. And then you go get ice cream. <laughs> um, Hebrews 10, 23 to 25, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's, that's a verse about being committed to the assembly, this assembly, to this church, to the church. Don't forsake assembling together. It's important. It is where you will be fed, uh, Lord willing. Right? And so let's, let's learn how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, one of which is not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Are you that brother to somebody, that commitment to your friends? When adversity comes along, are you the guy that comes, or gal, that comes along and says, I'm with you, we'll get through this. I'm committed. It's awkward. I'm not, I'm not, I'm just a friend, but, but I'm committed to you and we're going to be spending a lot of time together. I mean, we could go through all of these things, right? Work. You're worse than an unbeliever if you don't work, so be committed to work. Um, <clears throat> uh, spouses, uh, a plethora of, of verses we could go to, correct? Now, what good will come from, my, from you keeping your com- commitments? What good comes to you when you are faithful in keeping commitments. Luke 16, 10 through 13. Listen to these first verses. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. 
And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, for example, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. And then Luke 19, a little bit later, while they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So he said, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called ten of the, his slaves and gave them ten minas and said to them, do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him so that he might know what business they had done. The first appeared saying, Master, your mina has made ten more minas. And he said to him, listen to this, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing. You are to be in authority over ten cities. The second came, saying, Your mina master has made five minas. And he said to him also, And you are to be over five cities. Another came, saying, Master, here is your mina, which I kept put away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are an exacting man. You take what you did not lay down and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, by your own words, I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you know that I am an exacting man, taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put my money in the bank? And having come, I would have collected it with interest. Then he said to the bystanders, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Master, he has ten minas already. I tell you that to everyone who has, more shall be given. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. But these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. That's an interesting passage, isn't it? If you think about it, as far as commitments, you know, committed, he's given 10 minus, he's committed to obeying what the, his employer asked him to do, which is to make some wealth with those minas. He, do, he does it, and, and in coming back with 10 more, the master says, well done, you have been faithful in a very little thing bam, I'm going to put some serious responsibility on you. Now you're going to have to be committed to 10 cities. Get ready. Gird up your loins. You were faithful in a very little thing, and now more responsibility is coming to you. The one mina guy just puts it in a handkerchief and then doesn't get anything. And guess who gets that? One mina. The man who can handle responsibility, the man who knows what commitment is, the man who's committed to his master, he gets the one. Not even the guy who made five, he doesn't get it. It goes to the one who made ten. Because he's proven that he is responsible. He's proven his commitment. So, 
to conclude, faithfulness in little things or unfaithfulness in little things is an indication that you are or are not ready to carry the responsibility of larger things. You know, the deacons ask you to sweep the floor. And you do it once and you're like, ah, it's below me. I'm not going to do that anymore. It's humiliating. Some guys respond like that. Other guys do it for six years and you even forget that they're doing it. <laughs> you know, they do it for six years. They just, deacons ask me to do it. I'm faithful to it. That's the sort of guy you should take and make uh, like the chairman of the deacon board. Yeah. Made it a ministry, setting up chairs. Is that Steve you're thinking of? No, Jason. Oh, Jason, yeah, okay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, at a certain point, when you make the chair ministry a ministry, it's because you don't want to set up chairs anymore. You want to delegate. That's good. That's like the next stage, right? And so the, the setting up of chairs ministry. I know your hearts are burning to, to get that going. But think about this. So many young people, talking to you young people, want to be put in charge of this or that before you've shown yourself faithful in the little things, okay? Show yourself faithful in the little things, and you will be in, put in charge of greater things. But if your life is a string of broken responsibilities or broken promises or broken vows, you prove yourself unprepared to carry weight. That's what you do. That's what those passages speak to me, right? If you prove yourself un, unable and you have a string of broken responsibilities, then you are unprepared to carry further responsibility. Now, I know, uh, I mean, there is the category of man or woman that just doesn't want to, just doesn't want responsibility. Okay. I mean, that may be you at this stage in your life. I don't know. It, it may not be, but, but God wants you to work. Okay, and so can we just say that somebody who doesn't want any responsibility is in sin? I mean, there's so much to, to do for God. There's so many good things to do. There's so much pain that, that you can help with that if you just want to smoke dope and have no responsibilities, you're, you're just spurning God. So you, let's assume you want to carry responsibility. The path to carrying much responsibility is to be faithful in the small things, and then more responsibility will be added to you. So be the son or daughter who takes out the trash and cleans tables after dinner. Do it faithfully as service to Christ for years without being asked. Because you love the Lord and you love your mom and dad 
and you just want responsibility. You want to be a man. You want to be a woman and not a girl or a boy. And before long, with that faithfulness, it will lead to more and more responsibility. Faithfully do little things, God will add responsibility to you. That's the same with where, whatever stage you're at, whatever responsibilities you have. Be faithful in the little things, God will add more. And more and more until you have to like, until you're crying out for relief. Asking him to help you to maintain these responsibilities. I, went, I ran a website for a couple theologians back um, a while ago without pay. I did it for over 10 years. Just a little website. John Frame, Vern Poitras, you may have heard of him. I ran their website for 10 years um, before I handed it on to the next guy. And why did I do it for so long? I did, my name wasn't on the website. I didn't get any accolades. I was, I was a pastor. You know, I wanted, I wanted people looking at me and reading the stuff that I had written. And here I am promoting the work of two other theologians. And I did it because um, I said I would. I just said I would. And I did it for over 10 years. Okay. And it got to the point where it needed to be handed on because I, I didn't keep up with website construction. And, and it just needed to be handed on to somebody with more expertise. But I did it because I said I would, and I did it because I believed the writing of those theologians needed to be promoted for the good of Christ's bride, the church. So it was worth not getting paid for it. It's worth just laboring away, you know, maybe three or four hours a week for these guys. And are there examples like that in your life? I mean, I could go around the room here and point to many people who have faithfully served in little things, which really aren't so little. Sunday school teaching, been faithful, right? Nursery work, nursery coordinating, just kept at it, kept going. No one sees you. Music ministries, right? Opening your homes for hospitality. Many of you just regularly, faithfully do that. Um, serving as deacons, serving as elders, meeting after meeting after meeting, right? And just plugging away at that work. Psalm 84.10 says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. A doorkeeper. I'd rather stand by the door in the house of the Lord, not doing any of the, the main functions of the priests and the sacrifices, just the doorkeeper. I'd rather do that than, than dwell in the, the pleasures that are in the tents of wickedness. Your God keeps his promises, and that for you is your salvation, so commit yourself. Keep your promises, big and small, even when it hurts. Even when it hurts, okay? Keep them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your commitment to us, your faithfulness. That every promise is yes and amen in Christ. We thank you for uh, th that you have given us responsibilities. Father, help us to be committed. Help us to be uh, faithful. 
and help us to remain faithful to our vows, even when it hurts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.